Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, a mom to an incredible young adult son on the autism spectrum. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast three years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. The special needs parenting village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season three of Living the Sky Life. Thank you for tuning back in to Living the Sky Life. This is the last um, episode of the three-part series that I was doing on navigating adult resources around the U.S., Um, and I have had the pleasure of talking to so many incredible moms who have um, sons and daughters that are older, and um, they've navigated a lot of this stuff, and so I really, really hope that the two episodes prior and then this one as well will kind of jumpstart your thinking if you live in these states or jumpstart your thinking if you live in other states than what I've represented and you know that you need to get uh, researching and get cracking on resources for your own child um, who will be a young adult or already is a young adult. Um, That's kind of the point of doing this series is just to highlight some of the states getting it right, some of the states that are absolutely getting it wrong, um, and where we meet in the middle and kind of work together to change the system. We've sat by and let this happen far too long with adults on the spectrum or with any disability. It's just not fair, and we're not going to take it anymore. So <laughs> um, although this is the last episode of the three-part series, I was serious when I said um, on, the, I think, the last episode that I would love to hit all 50 states. So of the multiple states that I've uh, tackled, if you live in a state that isn't represented and you have a lot of information that you would love to share with me and my listeners, please reach out to me on social media, my Instagram, my Facebook, email me directly, anything. Um, I would love to talk to you and I don't want to leave any states out. Um, I just kind of focused on the ones that I've heard a lot about and I was interested in um, directly for me um, and places that I would consider moving to um, for our family. So anyway, with all that being said, this episode is a little bit longer than usual. Um, I think it's an hour and 45 minutes or so because there are four moms on again and they had so much information to share. So if you have to listen to this in two or three parts um, because it's longer, I apologize. Um, Usually my episodes are not this long but it's worth it. I really promise you that if you listen to the whole thing, you will learn a lot of information. So enjoy this episode with four fantastic moms. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. This is the third of the um, series that I'm uh, trying to cover on adult resources and navigating around the country for um, those of you who have younger children, maybe who are not in this boat yet. We're just trying to give you some perspective about some of the broken systems that are still out there for those of us with adults. Um, so with me today is Dottie from um, New Orleans and Kelly from Florida and Crystal from Connecticut. And I should have said Dottie from Louisiana, my bad. Uh, <laughs> Crystal from Connecticut and Melinda from California. So welcome everybody to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Hey, hello. It's so fun to see all your faces, most of you for the <laughs> second time um, that I've known you for a while now. Um, so let's start about just kind of talking about your adult child and kind of where they are right now, what services they're receiving or not receiving um, and how old they are and all of that. So Dottie, do you want to start? Sure. Um, my son, John, is 24. He currently is uh, a client of Stark of Louisiana. It's S-T-A-R-K. It's a nonprofit organization in St. Tammany Parish that provides services for uh, children and adults with disabilities. He is living in a men's residential home. Stark currently runs five homes. They have uh, three female and two male um, homes. There are eight men in the home. Uh, it's staffed 24 seven. So uh, he basically has his own room. Uh, they uh, do their best to just kind of let them live an adult life. You know, they anything that they can do in the home to kind of help with cooking, they have chores, things like that. Um, but they also have a day program that they provide services during the day at their work center. So the men in the residential homes, um, they get up in the morning, they all eat breakfast together, they get on their van and they're taken to the work center where they do all different kinds of uh, work either there or they have um, some contracts in the community where they might go out to the health clubs and clean the equipment or they might go to the school board and, you know, uh, or some of the schools and help out. Um, if they're there, of course, down here in Louisiana, we have Mardi Gras. So our biggest thing is Mardi Gras beads. So one of the uh, ways that they raise money is um, Mardi Gras beads are donated after, you know, the, the carnival season and they resort them and put them in, you know, buy dozens and resell them to the crew so they can throw them the next year. So John, of course, Skyped me the other morning at 6.15 in the morning to tell me that he had now done 10,000 beads the day, that day of putting together. And so he's getting some kind of a little certificate of award because he's on a goal to do that. So he does that part of the day, but then they also have people come to the work center to do um, uh, art. They do um, exercising, they do, um, He's going out now to, they just got a, a wonderful lady to do some um, train, personalized training. She has an adult son and she wanted some other guys to work out with them. So they're going twice a week during the day for that. Um, Stark has done an amazing job in our community, in our parish of reaching out to the community. And we're just incredibly blessed. The community has just embraced our kids um, to let them come in and do things during the day um, just for you know, some, um, those that can to go. So, um, he spends the day there from like eight to three and then he goes back home to their home and they have 24 seven care there. And basically they let them live as independently as they can. You know, John doesn't really, um, he needs supervision, but he's capable, he's, has a lot of independent, uh, skills, but, um, it gives them that sense of, you know, they know they're an adult and they know they want their independence, but they also have the help that's needed. So, you know, when you and I talked in the past, I basically hit a diamond in the rough with this uh, program because it's not something that's offered in every parish in Louisiana. So we've mm -hmm. been really blessed to be here with that, with that. Wasn't Stark started by parents? Yes. Stark was started by a parent. So you had a daughter named Heaven and she's still in the, uh, uh, in the women's uh, home. And they were looking for a place once she became an adult, they were not able to take care of her by herself. And so they mm -hmm. had people in the community that just came forward, decided they wanted to raise money and create a program to start helping 
adults because in Louisiana, once you turn 22, you're out of the school system and you drop off a cliff and yep. there's nothing for them. So they started this in 1972 uh, and it is, it, we just celebrated our 50th anniversary with Stark this year. So it's been going on for 50 years and still strong and community loves them. They have their own Mardi Gras float in one of the parades. It's I great. Mean, so seriously. Um, yeah, I know I'm really blessed where I am. It's kind of a little niche area, but I was mm-hmm. more, you know, open to the other programs in the state. Um, last question for, for you at this point, obviously we have a lot more, but, um, in the, in the uh, home that he lives in, is it varying special needs of the eight people that he resides with? Yes. Are they similar to John? Yeah. Cause I remember the director telling me that, cause I asked him, I said, gosh, if we moved there, would they take someone like Skylar who right. is not toilet trained, doesn't speak yes. all of those things. And he said, absolutely. We, absolutely. we don't shy away from that. I was shocked because absolutely. That's no, the, the age is John is the youngest at 24. The oldest gentleman there is 67. And, um, some of if, you know, uh, John, I think another, uh, gentleman who just turned 29, um, they're verbal. They're kind of on the same level. They have, uh, two that are completely nonverbal that need a lot more care. Um, that they can get around in chairs, but they are completely nonverbal, need help with almost all of their functions. Um, uh, they have um, two or three, they're kind of in the middle. You know, they have some medical issues other than, so it's, it's not just you are a high functioning autistic child, so you can come in our home. They have from complete, from, from kind of John's level, all the way to one that needs pure we're doing everything for this person, helping them, you know, eat and feed, but they're at least able to, when I say that, it's not like they're in confined to a hospital bed, you know, mm-hmm. move him in a chair and he has a chair, but completely nonverbal, you know, has to be taken care of with, you know, um, uh, hygiene issues and all of that. And what I love about it is, is John gets to see all that. Right. And John gets say that. to interact with other people in those levels. And, um, John helps with some of those too. One of the, the uh, adults there that doesn't really talk very much or what he does is the same thing. Uh, he and John are just like best buddies. They play Aww. back and forth. Um, and I love the fact that there's only eight in there. And um, that, so it's, it's very close. These guys are very close together. And these are licensed beds. These are, these are beds that a Stark um, purchases the license from these beds from where nursing centers or other uh, assisted facilities, you know, can't fill that bed. And when they finally decide they can't fill that bed, then Stark can go purchase that license for that bed to use in a home. It's not like they can just open a home and say, we're going to bring all these guys in because they are getting paid by Medicaid and um, by um, the state for funding for under some t- under Title 19. But that's what keeps it from just booming is the state of Louisiana right now is not they don't, or they are not providing more licensed beds that organizations like Stark would absolutely take on and build more homes and take these people in because that's their purpose. So they're kind of, their hands are tied as far as um, growing like they would like to, but they're so grabbing a wait list. they can, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, Kelly, do you want to tell us a little bit about Florida and about Stephen? For those that aren't familiar with Kelly, she runs the page Growing Up Stephen um, that so many people know and love. So Hello, let's hear about him. Everybody. Hi. <laughs> well, I will tell you this. Um, it's I was listening to and thinking how different states are. I know. 
dramatically yeah. different. Um, I do want to say that Stephen started off, he was born and raised in Tennessee, and that's where he graduated high school. Um, and the services there were not good at all. Um, and we were going to be moving to Florida anyway, so I didn't really look too much into the to those services in Tennessee, just, you know, a little here and there in case we ended up staying, which we did not. Um, so let me just say Stephen um, is 32. And um, right now, we, like you said, we live in Florida and um, he is still at home with me. Um, he is involved with uh, vocational rehabilitation, which he has been since he graduated high school, unfortunately been a long, long <laughs> process. Um, and um, as far as I wanted to briefly say, I've looked since we've moved to Florida and also in Tennessee, I looked into uh, different types of residential homes and different types of day programs, and they are virtually non-existent. They in both of those states, the ones that are available um, are not good at all. They are, uh, they have, you know, bad reputation. The people that work for them are paid such a low wage that, you know, they really don't care about their jobs. I've had a couple of friends that worked for those places that, you know, basically said to me, don't ever let Stephen go somewhere like that. Um, so, you know, that, that's all disheartening, but we, what we have tried to focus on for him is voc rehab. And the reason we are focusing on it is because they have done, you know, a lot of classes for him, you know, self-advocacy classes, uh, help, self-help classes and things like that. So we've, we've taken it in that direction, but he has had four job coaches who either resign or for whatever reason, are not good. Um, so that's been just, you know, a little disheartening as well. But he finally, after I guess what, 11 years, has a new job coach who's very young, very gung ho. Um, and I really think that he's going to step up for Steven and hopefully get him, you know, the goal is to get him a job. And um, he, it's going to be, it's going to have to be a lot of work to find the right fit for him. He has a lot of skills as far as um, computers. Um, you know, he's very good at uh, data entry. He's very good at uh, typing. He types over 50 words a minute. He's just, you know, and you would think someone with the type of skills he has that everybody would want to give him a job, give him a chance. But, you know, unfortunately, that's not the case everywhere. Um and it's definitely not the case in Florida. So hopefully somebody will step up. It's going to come down to somebody needs to give them a chance. Mm -hmm. And so we're hoping, you know, that that will happen for him uh, in the near future, because to, for lack of a better phrase, he deserves it. He deserves a chance. Mm -hmm. He deserves to have a purpose in his life. And um, hopefully someone will give that to him. And I do want to say um, this, this kind of piggybacks off that as far as I want to talk briefly about the primary caregiver. So I am his primary caregiver. I do not work because I have to help Stephen help Stephen, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so 
Um, I recently uh, tried to get some services, the services for primary caregivers in the state of Florida is so bad, but I recently uh, did all this paperwork and had the full interview for uh, to get paid to be his primary caregiver. And I was turned down um, and they said, this is so pathetic. It's funny, but they said that I was doing too good of a job. So I did not qualify for those uh, services, but she actually said, if I take a turn for the worst, oh I, can, my God. I can call back and reapply. I said, okay, you know, thank you. Uh, I mean, I just laugh at this point. I just laugh at some of the stuff that happens with, with these organizations. So, so, but, you know, we just keep on going and, and, you know, I do my best every day to make sure that he's out in the community. He's working on the skills that he already has, you know, that he's happy, that he's living, you know, his best life. And, and we volunteer, he volunteers, you know, we, we just keep on going and we're just going to continue to do that. Hasn't he, I mean, has he told you like that he wants a job and that he, has he, has he expressed like wanting to be on his own a little bit or live on his own? Or does he not really get into those conversations with you? He, he does every once. Well, he, he does express at this point, I think he's been a little discouraged about the job thing, but he does want, you know, something of his own and he does want a purpose, um, for himself, you know, so we have definitely talked about that and he does express an interest of wanting to stay with me, um, when I talk to him about, you know, possibly living on his, you know, living somewhere else or whatever, you know, he does express and, and you know, he, he's well aware we have those difficult conversations. And just like one of his doctors always says to him, moms don't live forever. No, God, it's so hard, but yeah, it's hard, I mean, if he understands that point. That's he good definitely that he does. He definitely does. And, and so, um, you know, we work on, you know, talk and, and we definitely work on his independence a lot, but I'll be honest right now, what is a, what is offered around him as far as living semi, even independently is not going to work. I mean, yeah. it would, I would not put him anywhere. So, yeah. well, and just to your, to your respite comment or your caregiving comment, um, <laughs> did, I mean, you were telling me, and I've heard this from other people too, that something is happening with um, and I got to say this carefully, I don't want to insult anyone, but those adults who later in life are becoming diagnosed with autism and they're, you know, older and they're mm-hmm. higher. I mean, I know people hate the higher functioning term, but it is what it is. They have jobs, they can carry on whatever. And then they're getting late in life diagnoses of autism. It's muddying the waters for our kids it who are diagnosed is. at three and have significant needs for jobs or things they need some accommodations, whatever. And like you said, with them seeing you as doing a too good of a job or mm-hmm. he's got it, he's got it great. He can mm-hmm. communicate enough that he's fine. Um, so they just are the criteria to get the help that we need is getting harder and harder yes. and harder to prove. And it's crazy that we she, have to prove that our kids are exactly needing this stuff. She actually said to me that their criteria has changed in the past year due to the onslaught of autism and um, the explosion, for lack of a better word, of diagnosis. And she said that so many people are trying to get services that 
do not, um, you know, qualify that they're having to make it harder for those who need services to get services. And she said, that's unfortunate, but that's just the way that it is. And so, yeah, oh God, that is very true. That's very um, true. Well, I'm going to move to Crystal. You're nodding yes. at a lot of this stuff. Um, Crystal's in <laughs> Connecticut and she has a 28 year old uh, son, Keith with autism and intellectual disability. Is that correct? Yep. Um, and I know through your years, you have lots of experience in a lot of different um, avenues in Connecticut. So please, please share what you're going through currently and what you, what you know about. Sure. So we started, um, my son, we started going through the avenues of residential. I had always had kind of a plan in my head. So my son, and I know that again, it's the taboo thing to say, but he is uh, a person with severe autism. That's mm -hmm. just how I identify with him. He's nonverbal. He has very significant challenging behaviors. He needs 24 hour care. He cannot be left alone. Um, you know, so with that said, he's a doll face. I wanna throw that in there. He's a sweetheart. <laughs> he's funny as can be. He's just a sweetheart. Um, so when he was about 20, right before he was transitioning outside of um, school to a vocational services, that type of thing, he started to have an onslaught of um, challenging behavior increases. So he was already in receiving in-home support through the Department of Developmental Services out here. Um, by the way, in Connecticut, you cannot be paid as a guardian to take care of your child. So that's not even available here. Um, and don't even get me started on trying to get him the in-home support. It was just unbelievable what I had to prove to get him those supports. I literally had to send videos of him around the state in behavioral meltdowns and escalations just so they can actually verify what was going on in my house. And as time was going on, um, I his sister was moving to college and I think he was seeing all these transitions that he was not having. And it was having an effect on him just because he's nonverbal and has the things that he does. Doesn't mean he doesn't see that people are progressing in life that he was not. Um, so I, we, we started increasing services and people started quitting and people did not want to work with him anymore. And behavioral um, supervisors who did not have the credentialing they should have because they are not trained to work with in, in, in Connecticut, they do not have the credentials to work with individuals like my son. I'm not saying there isn't somebody out there that does have it. I'm saying overall, most of the individuals are not trained to work with kids like my kids. So he was um, being passed on, his hours were not being filled. He was just, he was having property destructions in the house. He was having bolting issues. He was having all kinds of safety issues. And I had, rem I still remember this to this day because I had called and I had had somebody come in from the department to look at my son and to see what was going on in my house. And they said to me, you will never get any help for him outside of the home. You will never have any, um, any help residentially. Um, basically just get used to it. This is how your life is going to be. So, oh my God, <laughs> that's like a diagnosis when they tell us at age two and three, like they'll never be able to do anything. They'll never amount to anything. So you might yeah, as well find an institution. Yeah. And, and, I, I wanna, and he has been in the, in, in the department since he was three years old. So it's not like it was a new, you know, new event for him. So I, um, we were having some difficulties, obviously some stresses on the families and some, some things going on. So I needed to 
I needed to make sure that my son was taken care of and everybody else was taken care of. So residential is never an easy option for anyone. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Is it the option that you want most, most viable for your kids? No, but sometimes it's just, I don't have people who are going to take care of him after he's gone. I don't have family that's going to take care of him. And I don't have finances to set him up after he's going. So really it was the only option that was available to us. Mm-hmm. So um, we went through, we went through a process and I did it again. I started going above everyone and I was like, no, this is not, this is not okay. And I was calling people and telling him, I remember one day he was out in public and he had decided that he was going to take a walk to CVS. CVS two miles away from my house (laughs) during the time that he was having all of these behavioral escalations and meltdowns and everything. And it was just me. My husband had to work. So of course it was just me taking care of him 24 hours a day as well. He bolts out of the house. I literally had to follow him throughout my neighborhood to try to stop him because he was not listening. He's six foot tall. He was 200 pounds and just decided he was going. On the wall, the way there, I'm literally having to tackle my son to try to get him to stop. And he's trying to break cars. He's trying to anything that got in his way. He was just trying to. He just wanted to get to CVS. Let's just put it that way. And people were watching me, and nobody is really doing anything. So after this event happened, I finally, you know, we're we're taking our spots and I got him to go home and I basically called him up and I said, listen, this is what happened. And I said, and you know, what's going on in my house. And if somebody doesn't do something, I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that this is going on in my house and I need help. So he ended up going on um, the emergency wait list um, for, for residential support. And during that time period, he was offered a myriad of different options, which were not, as, as Kelly had mentioned, we're not good. And they, I would have people come to me and say, look, we have this spot open in this house, but his roommate is very aggressive and he probably will mm-hmm. do aggressive things to your son. And I was like, well, no, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I kept on having to wait. And then it ended up having, what I ended up having to do is I had to start searching all the different options for myself. So I started calling places. I started calling people. And you know what? You know who the people were that helped me? Moms. And a mom called me up one day and she said, look, this is an option. Now, mind you, this is after places had come to see my son and said, uh, looked at him for five minutes and said, no, they were like, just no. Um, I had one, one place that I won't name literally came to my house sat there tried to talk to him for a minute and a half and he didn't really do anything he just kind of laughed really loud and kind of like slowly dropped his body to the ground and they're like nope and they left so um i found this one place that was willing to take my son and they have been a godsend ever since to be honest with you so now he lives in what's called in connecticut is called a community living arrangement so we have different options for housing when it is an option um, he started out, which was something called a community uh, continuous residential support um, living arrangement. And they, that kind of system is more unlicensed, even though it's still overseen, it's kind of unlicensed and they get all of their funding through things like, um, you know, uh, rental subsidies, SSI, and that's basically all how things are paid for. Um, he did not get along with his roommate. 
So we had to look for a different option for him. And now he's in what's called a community living arrangement. And that is a licensed option. And it is under Medicaid. And it does, it's, most of the things are paid through a, a supports waiver. He lives with two other men, um, a, little, a little older and a little younger. Um, Keith, I think, has the most significant need. I'm not 100% sure if there's a newer individual there, but um, he has the most significant need. Um, we have some difficulties in the sense that my son has a lot of self-stimulatory behavior, a lot of noises, a lot of things that go along with his, his diagnosis. And sometimes that could be a little disconcerting for other people in the house. So there can be some things going on that way. But luckily, the people that work with him are so good at keeping me updated and and they're so good at um, just trying to always manipulate things to make it better for everybody in the house. And so we're very lucky that way. Um, before COVID, COVID threw a little bit of a wrench in, the, in there, mm -hmm. but he, um, he has a, a day support program that he goes to. He does not work. Again, in Connecticut, the options for individuals who need the, the higher supports like my son and the availability of work is not there. So do I think he could work? Yeah, if we were a little bit flexible, letting him come in and now and, you know, work for 15 minutes and go somewhere, you know, that type of thing, but that's not an option for him. So he does more like volunteering. He helps make things like dog biscuits. He goes and cleans churches. He does a lot of those little types of um, volunteering things. Those things kind of went down, unfortunately, when COVID um, came, they are starting to kick in again. So um, he does have a lot of those options. They're very good at taking him out. Um, he, he loves walks. He loves exercise. He loves, my son loves food, anything food related. So he's, he's very good about being in the community. He wants to be out all the time doing things. So they're very good at, at keeping up with all of those things. He comes home and he spends the weekends with us. So we still have that. I still always wanted to make sure we had that connection because guys like oh, my guys, nice. yeah, so yeah, guys like my guys, they need that routine. So I wanted to make sure that piece was always there. Um, overall, I think luckily we've had a good experience. So overall, we have. There's always something. There just always is, and I personally believe there's going to be fears and worries, and no matter what our situations are, like we said, yeah. I mean, we're not going to live forever. So there's always that that you know, that concern. And then there were concerns on the family with the stressors that were involved with his care. And then of course, you know, there's always a concern about safety when you can't be with your child 24 hours a day. But overall, um, we are very um, happy with where he is now and he's doing great. So he's close to your home, I'm guessing, if he comes he's home about, on weekends. Yep. He's about 30 minutes away and um, lives in a, a beautiful little house. Um, uh, turnover is always a problem, like I said, and um, I will say that it's always, always a problem um, for, for, but we try to, luckily too, my, the, the house that he lives in, we do a very good job of supporting one another. So if they say, you know what, could you bring them home this weekend because our staff is out, I'm fine with it, you know, mm -hmm. and if they, and, and we try to work together that way. And luckily, again, we've had very good people working with him that are very open to all of those types of options. So he gets that, that um, family interaction that he needs, but also to help them when they need it as well. You know, and I try to understand a lot of those things. Like I said, um, I try to understand that too. My son is going to have an impact on the people he lives with as well. So there, mm -hmm. there's a lot of that, but we're, we've been very lucky. Well, I don't have that experience, obviously, yet with um, residential living or group homes, but my thinking always was, and you guys can can 
uh, chime in on that. But if you, if we know that the caregivers are usually not compensated well enough for all that they have to do. So if the parents of the in individuals that are living there, like kind of band together and like make sure that they're given gift cards and like, if you're allowed to even do that, just to overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly take care of the staff so they don't leave, you know, I mean, cause turnover is such a huge issue, no matter what we're talking about, whether it's therapy in the home or whatever, we just can't keep people around no matter. It's not even always our kids fault with their behaviors or whatever. They just get paid much more to work at Amazon or something. So they're just like, there's a lot of that little administrative stuff that they don't tell you that I found out along the way too, that mm -hmm. they don't tell you that those poor um, people that work there have to go through that. um, You know, it's a lot. And I go out of my way. I try at least to always acknowledge. Thank you. Thank you for trying to take care of my son. Thank you for always talking and, and, you know, and, consistently sharing information and Mm -hmm. you know because I do I do know the care that he needs is 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 significant as well so if you're there believe me it's not for the money (laughs) yeah I can imagine (laughs) all right um Melinda I want to get to you um you and I are super good friends so I've talked to you on the podcast a couple of times but we talk about everything and I'm just always so enamored when I talk to you about California um specifically San Diego County where you are um, and just kind of, it just feels like California is one of the states that's getting it right. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about your journey from, you know, 18 and, and up pages sure. 20. So just kind of what you've experienced trying to find options and things during the day since you're Paige's primary caregiver <laughs> and she's <laughs> with you. <laughs> I do have to say one note, um, Dottie, um, that bead job would be Paige's dream job. <laughs> oh, maybe you're moving to, maybe you move to Louisiana. <laughs> the girl loves an accessory. So Paige is. I need to mail you some uh, Mardi Gras beads. You'll have to give oh, me that'd be cool. some Mardi that'd Gras That'd be awesome. She would love it. She'd keep them all. She'd keep all of it. She, she'd have 10,000 herself. But um, it's it's kind of interesting to hear everybody's experiences in other states. And I really, I thought that it was true that we definitely have more services here in California. But just hearing from the four of you, I know that we, we do get a lot more services. So Paige is 20. She is in um, a non-public school, so a private school that has all developmental disability students in um, I think there's about 22 in her entire school. So I think seven in her class, but she is in an adult transition program. So she's learning all the life skills and that kind of thing. And she's there till she's 22. But the services that I get for Paige are many. So first we get uh, in-home support services. So I am paid to be Paige's caregiver. And how the hours go, it varies. You could start getting in-home support services for your child at about four years old. So it just depends on what you're doing to go above and beyond what a typical four-year-old would need. So there's a lot of um, extra hours. It's, it's, it's a whole uh, scale. So what you really want is it's called protective supervision. So if your child elopes, if your child would grab something hot off the stove, if they need water safety like all those things are protective supervision and you get more hours for those you only get paid a little bit above minimum wage but as a parent caregiver living in the same home as the client it's tax-free so we get we 
we, you know, for example, we get 283 hours a month at say minimum wage and you can do the math. So it's a, a significant amount of money. It's basically like having a equivalent part -time. to a part-time yeah. job. Mm -hmm. So, and you can also be the care provider and have in-home support service and still work a 35 hour work week if you wanted to. So you could have that dual income and not be taxed on one. Um, so we get that when they four and above, and that's just a, a service that you, you start going through the regional center process and then you need to get Medi-Cal. There's, there's, there's a step process to it, but it's, it's doable. And here, you know, California, we all basically have our, uh, everyone has an attorney, so you can appeal. Like, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> basically, we all do. Really? No, oh, yeah. I stayed at my attorney's house in Hawaii. That <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, do you feel um, like you have to have one? Because no, you don't have to okay. have one. But if it's needed, there are many, you can appeal. The appeal process is is quite easy here. To if you it like say in Connecticut when you were saying that they're like nope that's it now here you would appeal it and you would probably get more than you asked for the first time around and it's paid for by the provider the regional center or in home support services that type of thing I'm sure there's exceptions but with all the parents that I know that have gone through the process and I mean these there's of course people that. You were talking earlier that cheat, like cheat the system, you know, that kind of thing when they're older and getting a diagnosis. And that's always a factor. But, um, and of course now it's a factor of finding providers mm -hmm. to, to do the work. And a lot, of, a lot of parents that I know actually use, you can use in-home support services to have somebody come in your home and do those services for you. If you had to work or whatever, so that you still can use that or you could be the parent provider. Um, what else does Paige get? So we started a thing. It just it just became available for the entire state last year called self-determination. So a little backstory, regional center here will give you respite hours. So basically um, childcare for the parents to go out or anything that you want. So we would get 90 hours a quarter of respite that the regional center would pay and we would find a provider and they would come in and, and we'd go out. So you find your own provider. Yeah, you can find your own provider. There's okay. agencies around or you could hire somebody individually. So, but, so we did that. And of course you use them or you lose them, the hours. There's no in between, you, you lose them or use them. And of course, during the winter months, nobody's available. Nobody wants to come over, you know, maybe here and there in the summertime, there's more availability because a lot of a lot of respite providers also work in the schools in classrooms. So then they're they have more availability. So the last couple of years they had a pilot program and then now they launched it for the whole state of California called self-determination. So you take that money that you were paying to the respite provider, the service, the respite service. And they now give parents that money. So parents can use that money in any way that they want. You have a budget, you make up your spending plan, you do a person-centered planning, which is your, you sit down with your child and a person-centered planning 
um, coordinator and you go over like, what are their likes? What are their dislikes? What do they want to do? What do they need? That type of thing. And then you get your budget from regional center and then you hire a financial management service and they are the ones that pay all the bills. So I'll give you an example because it's very complicated when you first hear about it and you have to go through trainings and stuff on it, but it's complicated when you first hear about it. But once you're in it, it's, it's pretty easy to navigate. Now, as a parent, if you choose this route, you're the one coordinating everything. So you're finding the providers, you're sending, tell, having them send the, the invoices to the financial company to be paid. So for example, <clears throat> pardon, Paige gets at 20, she'll, she gets about a little over $19,000 a year. So when she's 22, that'll triple the amount that she gets because she's no longer at the school district in an adult transition program. So it'll, it'll double or, or triple the amount of money that she gets to spend. So for Paige, she is minimally verbal. She uses AAC and we do spelling to communicate. Mm -hmm. Now, as her parents, we've been paying out of pocket for Paige's whole entire life. We've been paying <laughs> so it, it's kind of nice to finally at, at 20, 20 years old, you know, 19, she was 19 when we started to actually have something paid for. So with that budget, we now pay for all of her spelling to communicate all of her respite, which I hired a private person and we are able to decide the amount of money we wanna pay them. So we pay them $28 an hour. So it's more of an incentive to work for us rather than to work for like a summer camp or Target or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we pay $28 an hour. I mean, we still can't find people. <laughs> well, in California, that's like $10 an hour. <laughs> That's right. a whole other issue. So I know. <laughs> and we pay for uh, vision therapy for her out of that budget. And we also got her a um, desktop computer this year out of that budget. So and you can and whatever your child wants to do, you can use you can use it for equestrian therapy. You can use it for communication. You could get them an iPad. You could get them the touch chat or the Prolo to go uh, apps that are expensive that you, no one can afford those. Yeah. And so, or you can next year we're in our budget and the budget is from one year. So you have to spend it or you lose it. So you want to make sure that you spend every cent of this. And this is brand new for me this year. So I am trying to calculate everything out so that I spend everything so that we will still have the same budget next year. So it goes from, from, you know, year, year to year in your IPP. So long story short, we get a lot of things for Paige that we normally wouldn't get from regional center because of the self-determination program. You could go traditional, you could still use their respite hours and only take that. And some people do, and some people get a lot more from regional center, um, supported living services, uh, that kind of thing, independent um, living services. But we decided just to do the self-determination this year because I kind of wanted to feel get a feel for it before she turns 22 and our, and our budget is tripled, doubled or tripled, because there are a lack of adult programs around here. So that's, that's the, and who knows what will happen in the next couple of years. But we as parents would pay for that out of our budget. 
So if a program, and they're expensive, if it's 50,000, then you're paying them 50,000 a year, but you're not paying out of your own pocket anymore. Mm -hmm. you're, you're getting that money from regional center. So that's what we get. Well, I guess, I mean- and I'm sure there's more that I'm forgetting. Well, and we're all kind of like got these faces like this isn't fair. I think the thing that comes to mind is this may be a really simple, stupid question or a, a, a really complicated one that I'm simplifying. But why is it that the legislators, the senators, the whoever in California, why aren't they speaking out to these other states like Indiana and Florida and clearly parts of Connecticut and all these places that are not doing anything for us, literally nothing. We have to beg, borrow, and steal and move. I mean, you mm. know, I've talked to you about it every chance I get, but- Oh, there's a lot are, of people that moved out of moving. California. There's but a lot of We people. are moving somewhere, anywhere. I don't know if it's going to be Louisiana. I don't know where yeah. it's going to be, but we have to determine our future mm -hmm. for what the best offerings are for Skylar. We cannot stay here because right. I can't do this for the rest yeah, of my days. I and Lori too, I want to say, I've always said this too. I, I'm listening to Melinda about everything she gets. This is, I, I feel this to my soul. <laughs> Until every city, town and state is doing that good of a job for, for every child that needs it, we're failing them. Well, yeah. I mean, this has been going on for a decade after decade. I say yep. it on every one of these yeah. episodes that this is not a new problem. And no. I guess the statistic no. I keep reading and um, just doing all the research is that, you know, in the next decade, which it might even be eight years now, I don't know when the statistic was out, um, that there'll be a million children turning 21 on the autism spectrum. It doesn't matter if they're severe, like my son and, and Crystal's and or if they're higher functioning or whatever, if they still need support, that is right. a million 21 year olds out there trying to, their parents are doing exactly what we're doing, trying to figure out what the heck we're going to do with them and give them a chance at having a good quality of life and us having a quality of life right. beyond that. I just, I just, I mean, this is so important that we're talking about it, but what do we do from here? Like, how do we make it known to the the people in power, whoever they are in each of our states, like this isn't fair. Why do families have to uproot and move? And then the problem is going to be if you've got a million families flooding San Diego, then your budget for page is going to go down because right. they cannot it afford to it won't go down. It won't Don't go say down. that, Melinda. No, because here's why it won't go down. Because getting more mad. No, I'm kidding. No, because, because for 20 years, Regional Center has gotten federal funding and state funding for 20 years before they launched this self-determination program. It was thought of 20 years ago, the self-determination, and they just now launched it to everybody in California. Is it, is it like a, um, a crap show? It sure is, because everybody wants it right now. But I mean, mm -hmm. they'll work out the kinks. But I, I was proactive and I started getting everything together prior to the launch date because I knew it would happen. Mm -hmm. I knew once people and people are still afraid to do because it's new and it's different and they still don't have all the all the bugs worked out, but they had they have 20 years worth of funding to give to families. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, there's more. I mean, we just lost two seats in the Senate because, uh, you know, people moved out of California because of all the political whatever here, mm -hmm. which I don't really care about. But I just care about taking care of my daughter and accessing the resources for her because mm -hmm. I, I think it was um, Dottie who was saying, or was it Crystal who was saying that this is it. I'm I, My husband and I are Paige's people. I don't have any relatives that would could take take care of Paige. So we just we have to trust in our friends and and providers take care for her. But we have we have the self determination here too, and I think that's going to become the way of the future. Honestly, for most places, it's just obviously everybody takes their own sweet time in doing it, and it does not sound as great as Melinda's. I mean, honestly, I wish I would run to California today, but um, <laughs> there are always like like curbs to anything too like the self-determination here and I think Melinda said this we can't find people for our individuals with with less needs let alone people who have more significant needs to work with our kids so I think that that's a huge problem is we have to figure out why are not people not wanting to work with with individuals with disabilities that was something I did for many years on my own myself I worked in the field and I loved every minute of it so not quite sure um, what the draw is. I know there's some misunderstanding um, in our in our state that people don't understand that they can pay higher, like Melinda was saying too. So I think there's a lot of education that need, needs to be done on that end too. But there's still, I think that's our biggest problem is finding people who will work with our kids for some reason. Mm -hmm. You have yeah. to have the passion for sure. Mm -hmm. It's not just a job. You have to have the passion. To, yes. And I, I, you can see, and I'm sure all of you over the years have seen the burnout at schools with your respite provider and you can tell when they're going to quit or and you can tell when they're it's like yep she's not going to be here very much longer with teachers mm -hmm. or aides at school or any respite provider it's like we can all tell now because our kids are a little older so we we could totally see the burnout so you definitely have to have a heart and Lori, another thing I wanted to talk about real quick that I don't know if anyone else has the has had a similar experience, and I, I didn't say this before, but um, Florida also has a Medicaid waiver, mm -hmm. and I'm sure, uh, but the wait list is 12 to 15 years, and they even said once you get off of that wait list, basically, um, you have to still qualify and if they find if their criteria has gone up and they find you don't qualify anymore you know you've waited 12 to 15 years for services and you don't get them anyway and um wow. it's it's 12 to 15 years she said that basically they're only getting homeless people off of the wait list right now oh my gosh so, that's yeah. awful yeah i mean we got rid of our wait lists in indiana but they what they did is they just took two three separate waivers that skylar was on the wait list for when he was little um he i think finally came up on it at age eight but they combined all the people on the wait list into one family supports waiver and we oh. get minimal i get 60 hours a month of like respite or i could take all that respite away and he could have music therapy like 20 hours a month or something or right. whatever. And none of those other therapies are worth it. We can't get speech OT, any of those things. Mm -hmm. um, it's easier for us to just go through insurance and try to do it that way because the waiver people only really see little kids. They don't really see it. Older exactly. Kids. So the waiver is worthless to us, except for the fact that I'm paid, paid to do his respite. 
and I just maximize all 60 hours and just get paid and then just give the money to Skylar. But, um, daddy, I was going to ask you, um, about Stark, if you can remind me how you came to the decision or, or you and John did together about him moving out into the group home. And if don't they have like a transition program from school age, like 16, 17, they start kind of working with him on the next steps. Cause that's always a challenge. I know in Crystal's situation um, and several other parents I've talked to, it comes down to an emergency almost to get an emergency placement. And nobody really wants to be in that position to have an emergency. And then you still have to wait and try to find a place for your child to go. So John seems like it was a little more smooth and like a plan. So how did that un, un, evolve for you? Well, um, we've been involved, my ex-husband and I were involved with the, um, the start for years um, when John first was diagnosed. We um, lived in New Orleans and he went to a school called the Chartwell Center, which was a school when he was diagnosed at three. He went there for five years and it was a small school, uh, four children on the autism spectrum. And about the time that he seemed like we determined he was ready to mainstream, Katrina hit. And when Katrina hit, um, they wiped out all special, special education in New Orleans, just wiped it out. I mean, flat out told me, we have nothing for you. We have no special education. We took it away and we'll just have to deal with it. So that's why we moved up to the North Shore to St. Tammany Parish where they had it in the public school system. And it's the best move we made. So part of really what I did is, I found that in high school, you know how kids get to go in high school and then around their sophomore, junior, senior year, they get to do like an internship mm-hmm. where they get to qualify if you want to go out and do something. So I talked to his special ed teacher and I said, you know what, we're going to take advantage of this hour to internship thing. And I would like for him to spend an hour over at the start day center because I had kind of already determined he's, I, he can't be at home all day with me. He would mm-hmm. be alone. He's going to get bored. I can't entertain him. He doesn't want to look at my face 24, seven, 365. Yep. I feel you. So, mm-hmm. um, so we worked out with the high school that um, John was going to do an internship. And so, which with that, they provided the bus to come, you know, pick him up. And he and his teacher went over to start just for an hour. And he would either sit there and shred paper or he would file papers and, and it got him out, number one. He got him into the Stark facility, which is what I was really hoping is him to get familiar with Stark because this was the only option I really had for something for him to do during the day. Because even though John could have stayed in school till he was 22, John is, uh, is um, aware enough that his older siblings, you know, when you go, when you're in grade 12, you graduate. So he was, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have benefited him to go another four years in high school, he'd really tapped out on the educational and he was less second, third, fourth grade level. So even in his sophomore year, we changed his whole IEP to start on. I said, I want daily living skills. I want transition skills. I mean, he's tapped out educationally. I want him to start learning how to be social with people and how to start working on everyday stuff. So mm-hmm. with that, um, we kind of shifted into this internship. I said, well, so juniors and seniors are getting half a day off. So let's at least take an hour. And so we wrote it up, got it approved, and they went over three times a week. They would drive over to Stark. He would sit there for an hour. And what helped me with that was during the summer, like between his sophomore and junior and junior and senior year, I would take him back over to Stark for like an hour, even if it was an hour. So he was familiar with the people. He knew what to do. 
he knew everybody coming in and out. He kind of saw the scene, you know, because I knew when he graduated, when he, you know, um, got a cert certification and he, he um, finished 12th grade, that that was the only, that I had to put him in there during the day for him to do something. And I wanted him to already be familiar with it. So it'd be kind of an easier transition. So we started that his junior year, he would go and spend, you know, two days a week and senior year, we upped it to like three or four days a week, he would go. And then Stark had one of their, um, they have one of their counselors who does the, the transition to adulthood. They work with um, the um, workers' compensation, the rehabilitation, Louisiana Rehabilitation Services of trying to find work for um, uh, kids with uh, disabilities coming out of school. And so their counselor or their person who does that in Stark um, started working with him his senior year, coming to our school to, the, to our IEP meetings and planning for John to start coming to Stark on a daily basis when he finished high school. So once he finished high school, I would take him over there and drop him off for a couple of hours and then go back, pick him up, maybe three hours a day just to kind of start to give him some. The nice thing about it is he was already familiar with Stark. Mm -hmm. He knew the people. He was like, by that point, he was king of the mountain. You know, everybody knew him, everybody loved him. So starting that in the high school, and letting him start kind of get his feet wet in it helped a lot when he finished school. And so we did a year of that. Uh, that was in 2017. He uh, finished high school. And so he was going every day for a couple of hours to Stark. Um, of course, a couple of hours and you come home and he's still having behavior issues and stuff you know, because it wasn't enough, but it was still working him into that. And they actually, I did not, was not aware at the time, but they called me in 2017 and said, We've actually gotten enough license. We finally got enough license and we've raised enough money. We're going to build a men's residential home and we'd like to offer the first room to John. Aww. It's just a godsend. So mm -hmm. it was, and I talked to John and John would have these behavior meltdowns of, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to, I want to go somewhere else. <laughs> and I finally looked, sat him down and I said, then that's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to find you a place. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to move you out. And this time next year, you know, we're, you're going to have your own place. And he kind of looked at me like, huh, <laughs> but at least yeah, it gave me, um, I could say back to him, okay, that's what we're going to do. So um, that whole year that he was going and they started building room stuff, it gave me kind of a chance to keep reminding him about that, about, I know you want your own space. You're going to have your own room. We're going to fix it up like you want to. And I know we could talk about it, but he really couldn't visualize it. But um, by the time the the house came open, you know, what, you know, they had it finished. Uh, he moved in July of 2018. And, um, it, you know, that was the hardest day of my life. Mm -hmm. The hardest day of my life to I take it in. But, um, because I'm handing him over thinking, is anybody going to watch him as much as I did? Is anybody going to know he does this, he does that? If he starts, if you see him doing this, this is going to happen. And, but there was another part of me that was so excited for him, you know, to, you wanted this independence because I, I have to constantly, I constantly remind myself, you're a young man that has autism. Autism does not define you. You're right. a young man who has autism. And I know as a young man, you don't want to see your mama's face every single day. I know you're having those natural feelings as a guy so I was really excited for him to understand that he can have some independence and start making those boundaries and and you know not having behaviors because he has to stare at me all the time you know it's just because he's, yeah. he's a kid so um when we moved him in 
John really never cries. I, he Skyped me the next morning and I asked him how he was. And he said, mom, I cried. And was real tears. Of course, Mark Baham, the director, you know, you met him yeah. before. He kept telling me, Dottie, give him a couple of days. He's going to be fine. Trust me, this happens all the time. He's going to be fine. And what a week later, he was like, mm, love this place. Got my, you know, he was the first guy in. And for John, that's good. Because everybody else coming in kind of came into his place, you know. And <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah. So he, he finally figured out, you know, nobody bothers me if I want them to. But I have things that I need. And nobody's really pushing me. But there are rules that I have to follow. And um, ever since then, you know, with the, the new guys coming in, they had, um, they did have one of their um, men there uh, who passed away from COVID. So they've gone through a death kind Aww. of a, as a friend or family mm -hmm. member. Um, they've had people change in and out, you know, workers to, you know, just don't work out. And I try to help the workers. Mark knows me. He'll, if they get short staffed, I told him, I said, you better tell the short staff person who's coming in for the big thing on the door that says, watch John Davis, because he is watching you. He knows which ones watch him and he knows the newbies. And if he's going to try something, he's going to try it on the newbies. I mean, he just does, so you know, <laughs> every time he's going to, if he wants to climb out a window and go outside to play in the mud, he does it when the newbies are there. So I keep telling him, you got to tell the newbies, keep an eye on John because he's like, Ooh, fresh meat. You know, it's just how he is. So um, the transition has been great for him. It was, um, it was, it was a bittersweet decision, but it's kind of how we came to it. And just because it fell into mm -hmm. um, just, you know, I think it was just a place that God wanted him and put him in this place that he has just thrived. And we have our dinner dates every Friday night. We go Aww. and have dinner, pick him up at five o'clock and go have our dinner date. And um He's been good. And if I can't come on a Friday, sometimes I just, if I want to go out with the girlfriends and we're going to go, I'll say, you know what? I can't go. Can we go Sunday? He's actually going to say, okay, Sunday's fine. As long as we go. So he's learning that he's kind of getting out of this pattern of got to, got to, got to, got to, you know, yeah. everything. And that's just part of growing up. But, mm -hmm. um, and you're I, thriving, right? Like your life has so, changed. I mean, I can only imagine again, I'm not there yet, but that that was the hardest thing you ever had to do to relinquish yes. control and to like, I'm sure I'd send him a notebook of notes. Like when he looks at you like this, this is what right. it means when you do that. But right. at least you have a life now. Like the fact that you even say, I'm going to go out with my girlfriends. I'm like, I, I, I don't even know what oh, I would do listen. with myself with all and, that. Uh, you know, and if, for any of y'all who haven't, you know, I love you to death. And I, I feel for you when, cause I know how it feels to have to be there every single day. And I still don't take for granted that anything could happen. And I could have him back in my home mm -hmm. every day. You know, they could call tomorrow and they could come yeah. back in. So I know it's not a guarantee. I live with that every day and I'm fine with it. I'm, I feel thankful for every day that he has in this experience because I know I don't live forever. Um, uh, but, and I also know that that might not, who knows what's going to happen. I'm just thankful mm -hmm. for every day that he's there. Yeah. But um, my best friend will tell you that when I uh, dropped him off the very next week, it was, a, I called her, I called my best friend bawling crying she's like what's the matter i'm like i'm a target it's eight o'clock it's a tuesday night and i'm in a target by myself you know it's like, <laughs> i cannot believe i'm here by myself and i'm not having to worry about him you know and i was just overwhelmed with i can't believe this has happened you know so mm -hmm. um it truly is when when you give them to somebody and you give them that opportunity i'm so happy for him he has grown so much he's touched so many lives with you and i know all of your all's kids touch so many lives 
And I'd give you anything if I thought the way that he did, you know, black is black, white is white, simple, simple, mm-hmm. we're going to do it. We're not, I would love if, if everybody lived the way our kids did, yeah. life would be so much better. And it would you be know? a nicer place to live. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, I'm just, I'm very blessed that he is, um, he's gotten that, but I'll tell you it, the hardest thing I think after that for me was just figuring out who am I? I mean, mm-hmm. I, nobody's, you know, and, um, I, I was, I got divorced three weeks before I moved him in. So, um, I wasn't anybody's wife, wasn't anybody's mom. My others are out and grown. And so who am I? I mean, it was this whole identity of, wow, you know, now what do I do? And, and just having that urge of, you know, you know, they're going to call, they're going to call, you know, something happens. I got to mm-hmm. be on standby. And, uh, even though I still am, um, I've been blessed with that comfort of knowing they know him. They know mm-hmm. me, they call me and say, hey, he's doing this or hey, he did that. He may call you or I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, and just redefining um, as an individual. And I would encourage all y'all to whatever you do, take some time for yourself. Mm-hmm. You can have some time for yourself. I know you have time with your husbands if you're married, but take some time for yourself because um, you, it, it's a lot of what we do. It's just overwhelming for you all, you all have that kids that are nonverbal, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. And, and having, and, and for you, Lori, having to figure out what's he saying, what's he doing, where does he hurt? Mm-hmm. My heart goes to you, you know, Yeah. but, um, I would imagine your experience is a lot like people who have other children as well. And, um, all of your kids go to college or you're an empty nester and you look at your spouse and you're like, uh, like what, what do we talk about now? Cause we've only right. like focused on our kids. Right. So I imagine it's the same thing. You're, you're still mom. I think that's the, the one thing that I pick up from a lot of people who have arrangements and things are working out for their adults to do other things, be other places. They're, um, they're like, finally, I'm just mom. That's all I've wanted to be is just mm-hmm. mom, not mom and caregiver and all the other hats that we have to wear 24 hours a day with mm-hmm. our kids. Um, mm-hmm. So they can just have dinner with them once a week and that's it. And then not change his pull-ups in my case or not feed him or not do all those things. You can just enjoy them for who they are, their presence, and just have a nice, you know, evening conversation with them or whatever. Um, So I, you, you kind of mentioned my next question for everybody, but um, so, you know, you know, that the possibility could be there that John could come back home. Mm -hmm. Kelly, do you have, um, I know Steven's older, but and we talk about this all the time. What is your plan? Have you talked to your older children, your other children? Yes. I mean, yes, I have. And, I yeah. have two older children. Uh, I mean, two older children. I have two younger children. And Stephen uh-huh. have one who's thirty, and another one who's twenty-six. And you know, we do we do have a plan as far as um, like we have a will, and we have. Um, everything a b c and d but you know i mean plans change people mm-hmm. change uh i mean there's never any guarantees in this life for sure mm-hmm. so what i try to do is i try to one thing i try to do is update my plan often because like i said life's always changing you know my my son that's 30 he doesn't even live in our state you know my daughter lives close by but, um, you know, she, she has her own life as well. So I try to um, always update whatever plan that I have. Um, and as far as Stephen goes, you know, we're, I, I am never 
uh, never say never, I shouldn't use that word, but I will not put him somewhere where I think he will not be safe. Mm -hmm. I, I just am not going to do that. And, and right now, all of the options of anything residential or anything like that is just would not put him in a safe space. And, you know, I'm not, if it comes at my expense or, um, or if it comes at, you know, maybe Stephen's not going to have the independence, you know, that he deserves, you know, before I put him in an unsafe space, that's just going to have to be that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I continue to look, I, things Mm -hmm. continually change. I, I, you know, maybe we're not going to stay here the in the state of Florida for the rest of our lives. You know, I'm always looking for what places do better and, you know, what places have to offer. Um, but so, so, you know, we just, I really, to be honest with you, we take it one day at a time. Yeah. You almost have to at this yeah. point. He's got like 50 years left at least on his <laughs> life. You know, I mean, he does exactly. he has such a lot, a long time to do you, a lot of and things. And, you know, it, it, the conversation to have with uh, your other children is a difficult one. Yeah, nobody wants very. to have that. Nobody wants to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always tell them, I don't want your brother to overtake your life. I don't want your life to become about him, but I do want you to make sure he is happy and safe and healthy. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, we're all on the same page about that, all of us. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I feel good about that. I feel good about that. But I really do think that um some good is going to come his way very soon in the way I of a job so. in the way of a job I do and and he's excited and we're excited and um so like I said we're going to keep going until we find you know all the best for him for us as a family um and you know uh, another thing I wanted to add that I'm sure everyone can agree everyone here today can agree with is most of us don't just deal with autism. We deal right. with like Stephen, he has apraxia, he has Tourette's, he has OCD. Uh, most of us deal with more than one disability. So we're having to navigate autism, yes, but also, you know, these other comorbid conditions that they have. And, and you know, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. So we're trying to get services for one thing. And then we say, by the way, we need this service and this service because, you know, of everything else. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, but his happiness is, is very important and he's happy. Mm-hmm. You know, he enjoys, he, he'll tell you, I love my life. So, <laughs> well, and that's testament to you guys. I mean, that's the, all we can all hope for, no matter right. what their living arrangement is, right. or whatever's going on. Right. I mean, just seeing him walking around Disney, yeah, and we do a lot of we meaning. do do a lot of Disney. I was gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's living his best life. Too. That's and, right. That's, and that's you know, exactly. I've learned a ton from you, even just navigating SSI and yeah. um, you know, all the guardianship stuff and everything that yeah. you have to do starting at eighteen. You mm-hmm. have done so much for him and continue to do putting money aside, making sure if you if you can't get him a job and like make sure that that happens this very day, you at least are planning as much as you can for his future to be taken care of yes. you know, when it's out of your control. So, yes. I mean, that's because I, that time is coming, mm-hmm. that time is coming. And, you know, I, I don't sugarcoat that. I don't, I'm not in denial, um, about any of that, you know, that, and so, like I said, we really do, um, look for the positive in each day 
and keep going and and we're going to uh keep trying until we find out you know find a good fit for him Mm -hmm. yeah crystal do you have um any thoughts or, or ideas about this facility that um keith is in now and like how long that could last or um is i mean is the potential that and the hope that he's there and and thriving and doing well for a while or well just like she the exact same thing we kind of go day to day because Mm -hmm. yes anything we've always thought of that too yes anything can change on a dime we all know how politics work and funding works and all that type of Mm -hmm. thing um I did the same thing with my kid, other children. I told them that while I told them I didn't want their whole life to be um, revolved around my son, I have spent, my other son, their brother, I have spent an enormous amount of time nagging them to death about learning about his care. So they know what to look for. They know what to ask for. They know that mm-hmm. they are to see, check in and see with him on a very regular basis. They know all of those types of things. And I also know my daughter's, specifically she would never let anything happen to the point where he you know didn't have a place to live so I do have that comfort in the back of my mind and we do have I am his plenary guardian so or I have full guardianship over him so of course we have backup um my daughter's listed as a backup guardian so that she can make all of those decisions later on in life if that need be to happen um I try to keep myself updated again on the self-direction route too. So, cause that is the way that it is going so that I can teach her or whoever else that needs be all of that information. If that were to become an issue, we have mm-hmm. other things that we're trying to put into place, like, you know, having a, a backup home for him, if that were been, you know, needed and, you know, all of those types of things we're working on, even in this late stage of the game, just so we do have those backup things for him. Um, but I will say one of the main reasons besides the effect that, like I told you, it was having on the family and all the things that were happening back then, that we did finally make the choice for the residential route was I did not want to move him out in a last minute situation where, you know, we're sick or something is happening to us and there's no other route available to him. So now I just hand him over to the state and that scares the living daylights out of yep. me. So, which is kind of why I thought, you know, let's do this now because I have all these years of seeing the process and getting to people know, you know, we're a family that's not going to go away. Um, One of the saddest things to me is they had told me originally when I first moved him out that something like 50 to 60%, it was up there. It was a good percentage of families will move their child out and never even deal with them again. And that is just a a scary statistic Mm -hmm. to me. So I wanted to make sure they knew even when I'm not here, my daughter's going to be here. My other son will be here. So I just yeah. wanted to make that impact known to everybody. Yeah. Um, so that, you, a, you know, <clears throat> you make a valid point about, I guess in my mind, I was thinking like, if we can find a really nice place that I know they're taking care of Skylar, that I'm, I'm good, but you're, you're right. I mean, I think I should always be looking for an alternative in case they shut their doors and they just all of a sudden, are not offering it anymore or something that he won't be homeless and then move because it disrupts their lives too, because they're used to where they are living. And then to move right back in with you guys, I think after all these years of living apart, that's traumatic. And family support, I've dealt with families who, for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. you know, the child's behavior was too much and something, something happened and they ended up back with their, with their family. So it Mm -hmm. does happen. So I'm a big believer on, on, um, 
always having something. It actually can be kind of drive yourself crazy because you're always having something in the back of your mind as a backup for whatever, you know, the thing is in the, you know, in the moment. And, you know, and I'm sure like daddy knows, knows this too, but just because your child doesn't live at home, doesn't mean that the, um, concerns aren't still there oh, yeah. you're always, always more so something. oh my gosh because <laughs> they're I out mean, of sight <laughs> yeah yeah and you know and like I, I said before I'm not a big believer in I think you always try to work as a team with the people that um, are taking care of of your your loved yeah. ones however like I said they know I'm around so yeah. I don't I, while I don't think you should be constantly picking at everything and yelling it up, uh, everything, I do think you need to be like, you know what, I'm in your face and I'm not going away. So yeah. I think that's the biggest and the best thing that we can do to try to keep them as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, and your point about um, the people who are forgotten at these facilities, um, the woman from Houston, Texas, Lisa Dempsey, that was on my last episode about this topic, and she's been on my podcast before, she has a um, an organization nonprofit that she started called Forgotten Wishes Foundation. And I was just, oh my God, I was just so overwhelmed with the things that she was telling me about that same situation. So her part of her organization is to, to send birthday cards and Christmas cards to all of the facilities um, and the residential living and the group homes to all the residents, because so many of them don't get anything. They don't yeah. even, that's, they, they get nothing on their birthday, nothing I- on Christmas. And I mean, that makes me want to just cry. I'm tearing up just thinking about it. The I whole know. conversation because like, like you said, there's thankfully in our place, the individuals who have those types of situations are our company that works with my son goes out of their way to take care of them. So I will give mm-hmm. them those, those props, but I don't think, I don't know, maybe I, I can't put any kind of judgment on anyone else because we're all living our situations mm-hmm. the best that we possibly can. So I would never do that. But I think, we leave our kids the most vulnerable when we say, when we give this idea that we are not a part of their lives and that you can make these choices for them. You know, there may come a time that has to happen. So I can't say that, you know, of course, Mm -hmm. but you're, I don't know that people really understand the significance of how vulnerable you're leaving your family member when you're not, you're not participating in their life at all. So Mm -hmm. that that is a scary, scary thought. Well, one of the things that I really enjoy, I'm sorry to interrupt but. I, I love the fact that that John and I have our dinner dates because I am at that house every Friday and I'm coming in and I'm picking them up and I'm seeing everybody and they know I'm coming and they know. So I'm a, an active, regular part of, mm-hmm. of whoever's there. If somebody's different, they, they everybody who works there knows me. And, you know, they know when I knock on the door. And it's so funny when I ring the doorbell inside, I could hear everybody, even the guys. Your mom's here. mom's here. Because I know it's five o'clock. God, your mom's here. That's awesome. It's so great to hear that everybody knows. But for me, it keeps me completely involved. And Mm -hmm. if you're new and I don't know you, and I walk in on the door and like, hi, I'm Dottie. I'm John's mom. You know, so I know who's there and whatever. But I love the fact that I'm using that as a means to say, absolutely actively involved in who's with my kids, who are you, you need to know who I am because I'm here, I'm going to be here every week to pick them up. The other thing I just want to mention too is what's great about Stark is every year they have adopt a client and they do exactly that and they offer it to um, anybody. It could be, you know, parents of kids or or just community people or um, are a lot of the workers, but you'd adopt a client who really doesn't have family there and they give you a list of what they might like to have for Christmas. 
And of course, you know, I, one of the guys that I've, I've done for several years, he likes notebooks. He just like, he likes to open and close the notebook show, but he loves it. So I'll buy all different kinds of colors. But they make sure that these guys have, and ladies have Christmas gifts on Christmas morning to open, you know, and it's whatever they like. And I love that part of what they do. They, they celebrate their birthdays, but Christmas, nobody is left out because Aww. a lot of them have nowhere to go on Christmas day. So they wake up and they get to wake up, you know, with presents under the tree and you get to adopt them. And, and I'll adopt a couple of them, you know, because I just, I feel so blessed that, you know, I get to celebrate with John, but for those who can't, mm -hmm. it's just a wonderful thing they do with that. Well, I know a great Christmas gift for Paige from John would be a box Marty full of beads coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> Melinda, you know, all of this topic is, is something that we talk a lot about too, with our kids being nonverbal, uh, you know, predominantly nonverbal um, and, you know, just the future for Paige. And if something happened to, to you and your husband or, you know, where, if, if she's placed someday and you guys are just unable to continue caring for her, um, my concern always is that Skylar's not going to be able to tell me um, or his sister um, if, if something's going wrong or whatever, I mean, that's the scary part about me relinquishing control of him, even if it's just five days a week or, you know, then I see him once a week, he can't tell me like, mom, they hit me or whatever, you know, you hope that doesn't happen. But, um, so what's your kind of plan for Paige, um, in the future besides Paige's pantry? Cause I, I want you to, I love that. <laughs> um, well, the house that we're living in now we bought for Paige. Mm -hmm. So now we're in the process of, it's, it's small and it's perfect for her. We're, so now we're in the process of remodeling. We just did the kitchen. Next up is the bathrooms. So we're just getting it ready for her to, to make sure that people can come in and live here with her. So we, we would go with the supported living route. Okay. So we would have two caregivers, you know, 24 hours a day living here with her one to take her to whatever program she's doing and the other you know to kind of like house manage house well yeah we'd also have a house manager but or okay. I, I would do it too but um we don't have anybody we have a special needs trust but all mm -hmm. of our relatives all of my um my brother i mean we're only 17 months apart and his children are 13 years and younger so hopefully we can have somebody manage Paige's finances and and who's living with her and that type of thing so we're that's TBD but so far we bought her this house and we're just fixing it up the best we can to meet her needs and I mean we're gonna it's to be determined what how long Chad and I live here with her probably a while so mm -hmm. um every day I'm like is this it <laughs> And that's, uh, why I, uh, that's why it's so important you were saying I forget who was saying about um oh it was Dottie going out for the first time in forever and like what is what is happening where am I I'm a target what is you're looking around for your child but so I've definitely in the past few years have been really working on myself in self-care and my husband and I going out on dates and that type of thing. I and mean, we won't travel again because we got, I know last year. Oh, well, I was going to say you, you kind of brought to my attention. I never thought about it, but you guys yeah. get nervous traveling together away because if something happens travel. to yeah, both we don't of you, travel. then Paige has no one. 
And yeah, I never that makes really me nervous too. Yeah, oh, I, I get so about nervous it. about that too. I'm right travel together anymore. We tried it last year and we got in a, a, a horrible bad accident. car accident. Yeah. And oh. which I'm still um, going through uh, medical issues for. But so now it's, we're not, and he's fine. Like we, we still go out like locally and stuff like that. But, you know, he's, he's fine with me going with the ladies all the time. So we have a group of girls and we go on trips and um, Lori and I share a birthday. So I do a lot of birthday trips so that it's fun. It's fun traveling and they're all autism moms. So all of us get it. And they commiserate with one another. (laughs) And it's, I, and I have the only, uh, the only female, the only girls to the rest of them, but it's like, we, we, have a text group there's seven of us and it's like we just support each other all the time and that's I think is important is to find your your little group of friends that that are going through similar situations that you can say hey you want to go grab lunch or do you want to can you get breakfast this week now we're playing pickleball because we're old (laughs) we want to get this before we drink our mimosas (laughs) <laughs> well, you kind of uh, have leading right into the last question. Um, so we can wrap up here. Um, but you started the autism masterminds group. Was it predominantly to help parents find all of these things? Because one thing that the last three episodes of all of this, the parents have res- the resounding statements have been, you have to do the research. You have to ask the questions. You have to figure all this stuff out. And I think we all are experiencing that. No one tells us anything. That's the whole point of me doing this and hopefully doing more states is so that people can at least reach out to each of you um, in the states if they live there. Um, So what what would you tell someone that has younger kids or they're moving to California? Kind of, you know, I know it's broad because it's the state, but what should they do first or who, where should they go to start asking questions or, you know, is it the regional center? Would it be your autism masterminds page for you? So Melinda, do you want to start? Just give us some resources and ideas. I I get asked often about where they, a lot about school. So like where the child should go to school. And I said, I don't know. I don't know your child, but here's Mm -hmm. my experiences with the different, and and it, even in San Diego, there's still different school districts. There's a lot of them. So it just de- depends on where your child is at and how they're doing. And I can't really suggest anything if I don't know the child, but mm-hmm. I would say to start with the regional center, um, with IHSS, the Autism Mastermind group. Well, we have a podcast, but one day I sat down with my husband and I said, you know what? No one's talking. No one's talking about our older kids. And right. I learned the most from other parents. So I said, I'm just going to, I said, we're all autism masterminds. I go, we, we know everything or someone we know knows something or has been through that circumstance. So I sent out an invitation to everybody that I knew that had a kid on the spectrum or with a developmental disability. And I said, hey, let's chat. Let's talk about housing. Let's talk about conservatorships. Let's talk about you know special needs trusts, all the things that our kids jobs, all the things that our kids need when they're older, because I, there's no resource. You can't Google it. Mm -hmm. Like, what do I do now that my child is 22 and has autism? I don't know. They're like, good luck. But it, so I just formed a group and 30 people, like 33 people showed up the first meeting 
And then we made a private Facebook group. So it's just for people here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it can be expanded out. So now we have about 300 parents and we just bounce ideas off each other. We talk about uh, different scenarios like, hey, did you get this from the regional center? What does this mean? Like, what, is, what does this other thing mean? What, what do I do? How do I find an attorney? Who's good? Who's a good advocate? And so it's just parents and caregivers talking to other parents and caregivers about our situations. I love that. And you're the reason I started my podcast. If you remember oh, all those years ago, I called you I mean, we still, yours, we and I said, oh my God, somebody with an adult, like I, I, oh, yeah. I you know, I, and it was a female. So I'm like, well, there's nobody talking like you said. So I started there's mine, no so. talking about it. And I mean, it's, we still have, even though we get services here, you still have to do things yourself. Like now the big thing is housing. There's a lack of housing. So we're talking as a community about building communities, but then it's the expense of everything and getting funding. And, mm-hmm. and then I, and a lot of, a lot of um, life skills and pre-employment skills are lacking here. Mm-hmm. So that's why I started the Pages Pantry is to give individuals with developmental disabilities, life skills and pre-employment skills. And we work, we've actually just started, and I have no idea what I'm doing owning a nonprofit. I have never owned a business in my life. <laughs> but you've done so well. I'm just so proud and of you. It's like it's so but I want to it's an education model and it just so happens that we're feeding our community and giving back to our community. But I want to be able to expand it and share what I've learned and give that to anybody in any state that they can be an umbrella under us if they want to try to do things because our kids learn food handling, organization, uh, time management, they have meaningful interactions with other other volunteers that are there. They get to meet people that are picking up food. They get to learn about food. And, they, and a lot of our volunteers are now eating what they're packing in the bags that they would have never eaten before. So it's definitely become a lot more than I thought it would ever be. And it's such a great community interaction because more and more people are donating produce and meats and things to you before you just started with a little bit and now you have yeah, tons of offerings. backyard trees. Oh yeah. Yep. So now, and, and we, I just did an impact statement for 2021 because that's how far behind I am. But <laughs> we, <laughs> just the amount of, of produce and proteins and and uh, dry goods that we've saved from going into landfills. So that's another part of our organization is we're, we're and I have a, a flyer that's up and I said, how many pounds did we save this week? You know, how many, how many pounds of proteins did we save from a landfill this week? Or how many individuals did we feed this week? How many families? And so it's kind of, there's a little bit more of education in there, you know, and just a little bit, you know, it's, it's basically me telling them a number and somebody writing it on a whiteboard with the cute little graphic. So, but it's, they love it. They're like, can I write it today? Aw. So, you know, so they, so it's fun. And the thing is, is uh, anybody can come in, uh, teens and adults can come and volunteer and it doesn't even matter if you need any accommodations. Paige needed a template for counting when we first started. So I have templates I have bigger numbers for our vision impaired volunteers so that they can see how many to put in each bag. And it's a simple process. It's, it's simple. It's like sitting down and shredding. It's just an assembly line of produce that they pack, package into bags or boxes. Yeah. 
but it's just yet another one of those moms who's creating it, building it, you know, making it happen because nobody else is going to do it. So yeah. And I mean, that's that. the thing everybody says too, like the other day, they say, oh, you make it look easy. I thought you were going to own an avocado farm. And I go, no. <laughs> and they said, oh, you mean it's an either or situation? And I go, or neither. <laughs> it's yeah. hard. It's, it's very hard to do the day to day of any business and any nonprofit and plus take care of Paige. Right. As you know, 24 hours a day and she's not a sleeper. So, yeah. you know, I'm up late doing things, but in the end, at the end of the day, it is, I love hearing the stories of our volunteers or the families that really needed our um, produce and proteins that week. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Crystal, is there anything you would like to share about Connecticut or just in general for parents, what things that they absolutely should do and when? Oh, <laughs> I wish I was as up there as, uh, um, as Melinda was because that's just uh, with Paige, that's amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think when people get started, the most important thing is to, to find your village, like find your, your family that you can um, connect with, whether it's through like in our in Connecticut, um, the Connecticut Family Support Network, or like I I work um, with another family support network, um, Elia Village. It's more of like an online platform where we support families across the country. Um, but for me, it was about getting connected um, anywhere. So like at every stage of the game for my son, I tried to make sure that I put myself somewhere where I was going to learn about it, whether I'd be volunteering. Um, somewhere somewhere working if it was an adult um, example so maybe somewhere where adults were or or um, joining like the regional advisory councils out here in Connecticut uh, through DDS and it's all about um, keeping updated on what's going on in the areas in our regional centers and being involved and voicing what it is that is not happening or what you think needs to happen for your families Um, we also have another Facebook platform it's a Connecticut Family Special Needs Networking that um, all the families get all across the state kind of tell each other and gather together and kind of, you know, give that information. If you're looking for information about schools, if you're looking for information about whatever it is you need for your child, it's, I think it's best to get it from the people who are going through it because, you know, there's when you're working, I mean, we want to get it from the specialist, of course, but sometimes there's going to be that little bit of bias in there that you can't hundred percent sure that, you know, the information you're getting is, is, you know, what you really need. So, I think it's, uh, for me, it's always about getting it from the parents as, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Kelly, do you have um, any suggestions? I mean, I know you probably have a ton, but <laughs> like, uh, what I know. should people to- be doing? Like, You know, I do think that um, even before the age of 18, maybe Mm -hmm. even 17, they need to start getting their ducks in a row as for guardianship, power of attorney, um, SSI, whatever they might qualify. Because a lot of people don't realize that when your child becomes an adult, which is 18, they qualify on their own um, accordance, basically, meaning your money as their parents no longer are a factor. So they qualify for services on their own. And a lot of people don't know that. And they so like, say your child's 16 and on SSI, when they turn 18, they qualify themselves. And so your finances no longer matter for them. And I think a lot of people don't realize that and they think it just continues um, or that it's a gimme at 18 there's a lot of paperwork yes, involved a lot of paperwork and 
how much I learned from you guys, you and yeah. Linda both, that yeah. I had to say that he was paying me rent. Yes, utilities. you do. Because if he has no expenses, then he's going to get the bare minimum yes. dollar amount. He has to. Yeah, he has to. Those contrib- are things people won't tell you. <laughs> no, you have great mom friends. that tell Ex- you. Exactly. And also um, reach out to Voc Rehab because they don't usually reach out to you. You have to go after. And those are the ones that provide uh, every area has one. Every area has a Voc Rehab and they're the ones that provide services that um, they qualify for. And so definitely uh, that. But uh, another uh, one other thing I wanted to tell people that a lot of people don't realize, um, and this is when they get older, when your child is about to turn 26 and they are off your health insurance, you can apply for them to stay on your health insurance because I don't know how it is for for everyone else, but the federal run health insurance for Stephen is not good. It is, you know, the bare minimum, a lot of bad doctors, a lot of bad, you know, just, uh, but they can stay on your health insurance plan after age 26 if they qualify. And a lot of people do not know that. They just take what's given to them. And um, for how long? Forever? Yeah, they can stay on there as long as you have that health insurance. Okay. As long as you have. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. And um, I just think that's something so important because the benefits, health benefits, you know, health is wealth. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, those are a few things that I wish I would have known before I will all of a sudden had to do 30 hours of paperwork. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if I did it knew ahead of time and could do it little by little, I think mm-hmm. it would have been, I think it would have helped. Is there anything you and Dottie both can address about um, high school or like, you know, depending on where your child is in, in their programs at a certain age, do you also have to request like, um, shadowing like internship opportunities like Dottie was mentioning or in getting into their IEP something about transitional yeah. skills yes. life skills do you have to ask for that stuff you, or is it you a definitely transition you def- yeah you definitely have to ask and okay. that's another thing I'm glad you brought that up because another thing is when they turn 18 unless you have power of attorney or um, guardianship over them they legally can refuse to talk to you about your own child right and I mm-hmm. saw that happen, um, but definitely um, you want to have all the transition stuff in the IEP and also start inviting Vogue Rehab to the IEP meetings. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really good idea to have them there so they get to know your child. Uh, they can uh, have ideas to help your child. Definitely. Okay. Dottie, would you speak on that too? I mean, would you agree that you know, absolutely. And so I'll speak for those who have kids, if they're listening and have kids under 18, absolutely. If you can get tutorship or you can get whatever's guardianship or it's called before you and I had talked about this, mm-hmm. you were doing it. Um, it is so much easier to get that when they're a minor, because once they become 18, mm-hmm. I mean, the day after they turn 18, they could be in a wreck and go to the hospital and guess what? They're an adult and you don't have, you know, you're not their guardian. They, the doctor could literally not talk to you about what's going on you know you and even never, if they can't speak that happens right, even I, if they, I mean, they always ask me like well can right. I speak with him I'm like you can try but uh, right. he's not going to talk but back you don't want somebody from the state coming mm-hmm. in who knows nothing about your child making decisions mm-hmm. and interdiction after age 18 in Louisiana is so much harder and longer process and it's so much easier to do it once before they're 18 
in Louisiana that you just get an evaluation, the judge signs it. Yes, you have a tutor, you have an under tutor and you know, you already got that set. So once he turns 18, mm -hmm. nobody can do anything, you know, without me knowing about it, which mm -hmm. helps a lot with him transitioning into the, the residential home. Because as his tutor, you know, I, I, I can control who can take him out of the home, who can right. stay in and that kind of stuff. Um, so um, yeah. Can I, in one, one point with the guardianship thing, I just want to mention too, while we're on this is that um, I had Skylar's pediatrician write a letter to the court that it was not in his best interest to be there because that was the hardest part for me. I didn't want him to hear that. I didn't want him to hear them say, you know, basically I have control over him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one thing to have that and to know that, but I just didn't want him there. And they were totally fine with that. So right. if you, you know, just don't want your, your young adult child to be part of that whole thing, right? There is a way around that. Um, it just was important to me because I cried through the whole thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So I didn't want him to see that. <laughs> and, you know, and I think we, I mean, all of them sure will absolutely agree that, you know, your every child is different. I think that's the biggest problem. Like if you have one child, you know, that, that, you know, that has a, um, an illness or something that's across the board, you know, um, that there's a set program, that's great. But when it comes to our kids, when they have multiple things going on, every child is different. So mm -hmm. something might work for you, it might not work for me. So that's why I think we just have to be our own advocates about it. But you and I have talked about this, that for me, um, getting involved with your local representatives, your local state representatives, and whoever is, is going to the state on your parish or your county's behalf, I went and met with mine and, and you know our story, backstory about getting uh, law put into place to protect minors with disabilities uh, for they can't be sued for under the parental liability law. And um, through that, you know, when you go talk to, and I think you had told me too, Lori, when you pursued this too, you were amazed at how many people said, what can I do? What can I do? You know, and so there are local... the follow through. That's the bad part. They right. didn't do any. We got right. pushed because they're like, we had more pressing bills that had to go right. forward, not yours. So we'll look at it next time. And I'm like, exactly. hmm. but like you know? what you were saying earlier about this is happening in California and how great and how come California isn't sharing it with others. I would throw on the other side. Well, California may be sharing, but are, are the other states yeah. listening? Are they You're listening right. and mm -hmm. are they doing something about it? And unfortunately, it's just the rule of squeaky wheel. It's, you know, whoever's up there the most, hollering about it the most and pushing the most, that's what's going to take it. But, but for me, getting involved locally and finding out that my local representative um, actually also had an adult child with multiple disabilities. And so he was a champion for it. And he, on our behalf, you know, went and pulled other people. But it's just the way to get the word out, you know. Yeah. And if, if we're not getting funding, it's because it's something that needs to come up at the state level. And, you know, some of it's federal, but a lot of it is state. If we need more licensed beds to be released in Louisiana, you've got to go to your local representatives and just talk to them. And um, that's, that would be a big one, I think, for the adults um, in especially our state, you know, is we still lack a lot of ones that we have a lot of needs for kids who need to be in residential homes like John is to have some independent 24 seven care because mm -hmm. um, we're just not capable of taking care of them at home. And they're just getting too many of them. And then we're yep. getting older, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, John's, you know, six foot, you know, 200, I can't take him down. I mean, I can't, you know, handle. <laughs> That's what Crystal said. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, 
and that's just not good for him or me either. Um, And on the sidebar, real quick, I'll tell you what comforts me at the residential home is they have cameras everywhere and they're recording everything. So even if you didn't have a complaint, because we've had to go back a couple of times when they call me and say, John climbed out of the bathroom window. I'm like, okay, number one, why wasn't there uh, an alarm staff. window, <laughs> you know, or he figured out how to turn the one on inside. Now we have to put it yep. on the outside, but you know, they call me back and say, okay, we watched the footage. This is exactly what happened. This is where he went. We put it into place. We know this. So that would bring you a lot of comfort if not there. They're supposed to be there, the, the cameras. But that brings me a lot of comfort that if I ever had any questions, and even if it was somebody who was nonverbal, if you just wanted to say, hey, can you just go watch a day or two and what you know, and just see if you, uh, what's going on, they'll be able to do that. So I want that, I want you to have some comfort from that to know if you can't tell you, there is a way to know what's going on. That's but it's good. Still, there's still that lack of um, you know, not really sure because you can't tell me. Can I comment on that too, Lori? Yeah. And, um, yeah. Connecticut, they don't just put cameras in. Unfortunately, this is something that has been huge and talked about mm-hmm. often and and is going through the motions. You have to actually go through a process. It has to be approved by a committee that thinks it's absolutely necessary. There has to be like a background of information as to why you think they need to be there. And it, it's not an easy process and it doesn't happen often, unfortunately. So that is something I 100% agree upon. I do wish that cameras... I mean, obviously there shouldn't be certain spots in the house probably that they don't have cameras, but I do agree 100% that cameras should be um, in the house. Um, for me, it's too uh, about the having a nonverbal individual and trying to keep up with whether, you know, are they, they can't express that they're hurt or what's going on. And there are so many ways that our kids show you that something is going on without oh, having to tell you. Right. So there's like... Yeah things that, and this is something I go over with some of my other kids too, to watch out for my son again, over and over again, the little things that he does, the little ways to, to, to know that something's not right, whether it be in the way that he moves his body, like my son's a flincher. We had, I mean, I've had experiences in the past where to this day, he still flinches. And it was because not somebody from the home, but a caregiver that he had when we were having in-home supports. Unfortunately, I found out um, not so great information about. So he's a mm-hmm. flincher. There's there's so many different things that he does in the, the way that he changes his eating patterns, his behavioral patterns, his sleeping patterns, um, the way that his OCD increases. I mean, there's so many different ways that makes that I know that if I see this, something's not right. And, and I make that aware very quickly that I know something's going on and I need to figure out what that is. So Mm -hmm. there are uh, like a a multitude of other ways, but I do 100% agree. I wish that cameras were across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be sneaking in a nanny cam. Yeah, they do have, and you're right. Um, They they don't have cameras like in John's personal room and they don't have cameras in the restroom, but they also have cameras on the outside for their safety too. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they want to know, you know, if something's going on outside or where they go, what happened, but kind of just in the common areas, you know, so they can see what's going on. And and that for me, the staff know that their cameras are there too. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. Um, Just, and for their protection too. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just, hey, we want to watch you and see if you're doing a bad job. It's for protection for everybody. Gotcha. But um, other than that, I just think, you know, we're all just having to, I agree with everybody else, you know, uh, getting support from each other, getting feedback from each other. And what are you going through and just asking questions and starting as early as you can, you know, and you, if you like, you don't know till you ask. 
Yeah. And so when we started talking about, hey, you know, kids get to go out for internship. What about my kid? And they're like, oh, well, that's kind of an idea. You just, you know, mm-hmm. so not as you don't know until you ask. And so, and you're asking for your particular child. So uh, we're the best advocates. We always are, always have been, always will be. You guys are incredible, incredible moms. Like I I am so blessed to know all of you. And um, I just really, really hope that if anyone has questions specific to these states that we're talking about or beyond, and you've got a young kid, you've got a 16 year old, you've got a 30 year old, and you're still learning from this episode, Mm. please reach out. I'm going to put the social media handles that um, they've given me so that you guys can reach out to them directly. Um, This is the wealth of resources. This is how you find out what you need to know. And maybe you'll teach us something. If you ask us a question that we didn't even think about, we'll learn too. So um, we just have to stay connected and unified because this is the only way things are going to get done. I just cannot sit by and let another several decades go by when parents like us with the kids that are 18, 19, 20, that are two and three right now, having the same discussion. Yeah. Why isn't anybody doing anything? I just, I feel like we have to do something and make a change. I think we've advocated loud enough. Nothing is happening. Right. We have to do something, whatever that is. If you know, so I don't know, that's my soapbox. It's going to be my soapbox till I die. (laughs) I feel like we're on there with you, which hopefully is a hundred years from now. Right. So thank you all so much. Anything anyone wants to say really quick before we part? Your Congress people work for you. Yeah, yes. that's right. They do. They should. So I'm not going to take no for an answer next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so, so very much for thank you for having episode. us. So much. Take care. Okay. Bye. 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 I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.